James chapter 4, the title of the message today is Planning Well with God. Planning Well with God. I'm, I'm curious in here. By the raised hand, how many in here are by nature good planners? It just comes naturally. You've got to plan. You're good at planning. All right. And you're arrogant about it. That's great. How many are say, by nature, I have to work really hard at it? I'm not a good planner. Raise your hand. All right. That's, that's definitely where I fall as well. Whether you're a good planner or a poor planner. And by the way, us poor planners need more of you good planners in our life. But whether we're good planners or poor planners, you understand that planning is an unavoidable part of our lives. Everybody is planning something. In fact, you're probably planning something right now. I wonder how many of you already are making plans for your summer vacation. Or or how many of you recent graduates are already planning for school next semester. There are for sure some in here who are planning marriage soon. Like our smiling brother, very happy in the Lord this morning. Eli Gonzalez on the front row. He will not be sitting by himself at church very much longer. Isn't that great? We don't have to feel sorry for him anymore. I don't have to go on Christian Mingle and try to hook him up anymore. He's going to be hitched. July 8th is the day. And just to let you know, if, if you can't go to Farmington, New Mexico, because who goes to Farmington, New Mexico, all the way for the wedding, then we're going to have a, a reception for them here where we can go to the fellowship hall on a Sunday night after services and bring them a gift card and do some cake and, and that kind of thing. So, so we'll honor them that way. Um, and Montana Knutson, is she in here anywhere? Oh, she's, she's serving? Okay. She and Trey are planning to get married. I think that's still a thing. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I get real nervous, man. It's, it's like assuming a lady's pregnant when she's not. I did that to Avery Bolden the other, you know, what, before she really started showing. She was just like slightly showing, and that's the danger zone. When a woman's slightly showing, you don't know, I, 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 have you been depressed and eating chocolate, or, or you got a baby growing? And um, so anyway, it was an awkward situation, but Avery handled it like a pro. And she was indeed pregnant, so that made me feel a lot better. <laughs> Speaking of pregnancy, there are like six or seven women in our church right now who are planning to give birth to a child in the weeks to come, in the months to come. It made me nervous there for a while. Brother Kay and I were talking about this. There weren't any pregnant women going on in our church. And that's just really rare for our church because married people really like each other at fellowship. And, and uh, so to, to see a revival, a revival of of actually husband and wives enjoying one another is great. Was I tactful enough, Jenny? I don't know where she is. But... <laughs> there may be some today who are making plans for their company or their career or retirement. I know at our church we're busy making plans for VBS and, and youth camp, for Little Learner Summer Academy in July, for all the positive changes going to be happening in Fellowship Baptist Academy starting in August. The trustees, we just spent an hour last Wednesday discussing some major projects that we're prayerfully planning to pursue. See, whether you're a good planner or a poor planner, everyone in here is doing some planning on some level. And here's what I want you to know up front. That's a good thing. The Bible says that you ought to plan well. 
In fact, it talks about the ant. Proverbs chapter 6. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. We, like the ant, should plan now for what we know we'll need in the future. Proverbs 21.5, the thoughts or the plans of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. In other words, good plans lead to good results. Rushing, rushing with haste forward without a plan leads to disaster. It leads to want. It leads to debt. It's like our American adage. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. I think we all agree planning's necessary. It's smart. But the sermon today is not about whether you should plan or not plan. We know we should and we, we are in many ways. The sermon today is more about how we should plan. James is going to teach us how we ought not to plan, and he's going to teach us a certain way we should plan. There's something we should avoid in our planning, and there's something we should include in our planning. Look at verse 13 of James 4. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell, and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How shall we make our plans? How should we not make our plans? Let's start with how we should not make our plans. We should not make our plans with arrogant presumption. That's what verse number 13 teaches us. We should not make our plans with arrogant presumption. If you notice, verse 13 describes a group of businessmen. They're traders. They're company executives. They're manufacturers' representatives. They're investment bankers. They have goods. They have products to sell. These men see that they can do better in another location. There's a, a better market in another city where they can get higher prices. So, so they say, we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We're, we'll carry on our business and we'll make money. You saw in verse 13, they set a departure date. Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city. And they even plan how long they'll stay there. We'll spend a year there. These businessmen, they, they've set goals. They they know the profit margin that they want. They've got the networks. They know who to contact. They're going in at the ground level. Get in early and get out fast. Hold for a year. Sell for a profit. To these businessmen, life is set. This is the plan. We will do this. Sell it to the stockholders. It's going to happen. Now, I'm not saying that planning with ambition and vision is a bad thing. But planning with such certainty... And such finality with this sense of presumption is not the way we should plan. Did you notice the certainty in their planning? They said, we will go into such a city. And by implication, they were saying, we will continue their year. And we will buy and sell. And we will get gain. You sense that these ambitious businessmen were operating under the illusion that they were the ones in control of their future. You know why I say that? Because you never see God mentioned once in their plans. And James says when we make our plans without God, that is presumptuous. That is arrogant. And he said it's evil. 
Look down at verse 16 again. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. That's arrogance. All such rejoicing is evil. The plan with such presumption, with, with, with such certainty and finality as though we're in control of our future is like arrogant boasting. And James says it's evil. Why? Why is that kind of planning so bad? James gives us two reasons. First, it's arrogant and evil because we don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know with complete certainty what our future holds even an hour from now, no matter how good we plan. Look at the first part of verse 14. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. I'm sure that most of you are planning to go to work tomorrow and have a good, productive day. And that will probably happen. But you don't know that for sure. Your alarm may not go off. You could be an hour late in getting started. That delay may cause you to be stuck 30 minutes behind a train. Which will cause you to cuss. And then miss the morning meeting. And then that'll throw your day completely off. And what was planned for productivity just did not happen. You don't know what'll happen tomorrow. Some of you right now, you know you plan to take your child to daycare. You know that. That'll probably happen. But you don't know for sure. The child may wake up sick. Your car may get a dead, have a dead battery. Jesus may come back. I mean, we prayed like 42 times, even so come Lord Jesus today. You don't really know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what will happen this week. You don't know what will happen next month. You don't know what will happen the rest of this year. Let me ask you a question. Is your life today like what you thought it would be three years ago? Or have there been some unexpected turns in the last three years? And how much notice did you have before the unexpected turn happened? How many months in advance did you know it would happen? Probably not a lot. So let me ask you this question. Is it possible that another unexpected turn is ahead of you in the next two or three months? And that right now you have zero notice of it? Absolutely it's possible. That's the point that James is making. It's arrogant to plan with such presumption because you don't really know what tomorrow holds. Only God does. But then look at the rest of verse 14. He says, for what is your life? It's a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's arrogant and evil to plan with absolute certainty and finality. Here's the second reason. Because you don't know how long you're going to live. James says the first problem with presumptuous planning is our ignorance of the future. But here's the second problem, the brevity of our life. It's short. And you don't know how long, how short it's going to be. Look at this picture real quick. Who is that president? Jeff Kennedy. Smiling, probably pointing and waving at some point in the backseat of the car. Perfectly content with his wife who's wearing, I have no idea what. That outfit's all about, but it was pretty back in that day. And then look at this next picture. Where's JFK? He's laid out in the back seat. His wife is panicking and crawling out of the vehicle. And a secret service man is about to crawl in and hover over the body of John F. Kennedy. He just got shot. Go back to the first picture. This is just seconds before he got shot and assassinated. 
The look on his face, the smile, the the waving indicates to us that President Kennedy had no idea that in a few seconds he was going to take a bullet and die. This is the idea that James is getting at here. This is why it's arrogant to say, I will do this. I will go there. This will happen. Without considering God is in control of those things. It's arrogant because in the snap of a finger, you could be here and then you could be gone. Your life is like a mist, a vapor. You see it, it appears, and then it's gone. If I asked you this, do you expect to die? Every one of you would say yes. If I asked you this, do you expect to die by Monday? You would say no. But of all the people in the country who are going to die between now and tomorrow, how many right now are expecting it to happen? That's why it's arrogant to be so certain about our planning. Because in some ways when we do that, we're taking our future in our own hands. We're becoming God over our tomorrow when we don't even know if we'll have it tomorrow. And that brings us to the way in which we should plan. We know we shouldn't plan with arrogant presumption, with a sense of finality and certainty as though we control our future. So how should we make our plans? Verse 15, for that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. We should not make our plans with arrogant presumption. Instead, we should make our plans with humble dependence on God. All our planning, hear me church, should include this important disclaimer. If the Lord wills. Now we don't have to say that literally out loud every time we make a plan or a decision. But we should at least be thinking it in our hearts. We should be in such a posture of regular dependence and submission to God. That when we plan for something a day from now, a week from now, a year from now, an hour from now. We have God's will at the center of our thought. We should plan with the type of God dependence that says, hey, it's really up to him. I'm going to make a plan, but he controls what happens. Ultimately, he's the one who decides if he wills, this will happen. And that's what scripture confirms over and over. We plan, but God decides. Do you hear me? We plan, but God decides. Proverbs 16, 9. A man's heart deviseth or planeth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Proverbs 19, 21, there are many devices or plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. We can plan and should, but we should also be in such humble dependence upon God that he can confirm or change those plans as he wills without a big fight. We plan, God decides. So then what does this humble dependence upon God in our planning look like? I want to be practical for a moment. Let me give you three practical ways you can make your plans with God. Number one, consult God's word first. The will of God for your life, for the next decision you got to make, the plan you're making right now, the will of God is not a mystery or a puzzle to solve. The will of God is found through the word of God. That means you make a decision or a plan for your future. And when you do, you're not looking for some kind of mystical sign or a good feeling in your gut. Okay, you're looking for a clear Bible principle 
that guides that decision in plan. Some say, man, I really want God to speak to me or show me a sign and really make it clear what his will is for my life. And my answer to that is this, God already has in his word. Well, he doesn't speak to me. What do you mean he doesn't speak to you? Just read his word out loud. And he's speaking to you out loud. He's giving you your guide map, your GPS, everything you need to know. When, when somebody comes to me and says, Pastor, I, I just want you to know I feel peace about my decision. It's not a bad statement entirely. But when that's the foundation of their decision, I get nervous. When they say, I feel peace about this, but they can't give me a scriptural basis for that decision. I get uncomfortable. Why? Because our plans can't be based on how we feel. That's presumptuous. We're making how we feel a greater authority in our decision making than what the word of God says. And sadly, many Christians make their decisions and plans without ever consulting the Bible. They rely on their experience, their expertise, what their parents taught them growing up, what their friends tell them to do, what they feel is right in their heart. But they never truly consult the word. And a lot of times if they do, they don't consult it first. They consult it later down the road, which then tempts them to use the word of God to confirm their decision rather than to make their decision in the first place. So when you're making plans, consult the word of God first. How do I know if I'm not making plans well with God? If you're not reading the word every day. If you're not in the book. Here's another way you can plan well with God. Seek out godly counsel. The Bible says that in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. I've always viewed godly counsel as kind of like a safety net. You may have been to to a a show of some kind or a circus or whatever that featured a a tightrope walker. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm real uneasy when I go and watch a tightrope walker walk on a really thin rope high in the air without a safety net. He looks more comfortable than I look. And I'm just sitting there watching it happen. I don't want my 11-year-old son... To watch a dude really high up fall and go splat. Have to deal with that the rest of his life. There's something assuring, right? About a safety net. And the same is true when you're making plans and decisions. Godly counselors are there to catch us before we go splat. Here's how it works. We feel impressed to make a career decision or a parenting decision or, or a purchasing decision or a relational decision. So, so we start praying and seeking God's word. We're, we're asking God for wisdom. Then we're searching his word for principles of wisdom that will either tell us, yes, you're heading in the right direction or no, turn around. If God's word tells us no, we don't need godly counsel. We just need to stop. But if God gives us the yes through his word, we take the next step of seeking godly counsel. We take one more step of verification. We want to give God, watch, the space through a godly and experienced individual to tell us no if he needs to. And by the way, being told no is not a big deal to people who are in the posture of humble dependence. Genuine humility, in fact, leads us to solicit advice because we know that on our best day, we could still get it wrong. See, there's this challenge in decision making that we all face. It's called confirmation bias. Confirmation bias will lead us to see everything surrounding our decision as a confirmation that we're making the right decision. 
Every verse we read, every song we hear, every conversation we have, we'll even like look at the clouds and their formation and their shape and like make a word out of it. Say, yep, God's just telling me I'm on the right road. We'll see it all as God's way of confirming what we want because we want it so bad. Confirmation bias is blinding. Thus, we need a godly counselor who is not blind, who is not biased, who is not emotionally attached to our decision to help us see our blind spots. They serve as this safety net just in case we perceive the Lord's leading incorrectly. Don't make up your mind before you go seek godly counsel. They're a safety net. We consult God's word first. Then after that, we seek out godly counsel next. And notice lastly, remain willing to change your mind if necessary. How do you know you're making plans well with God? You're saying, if the Lord wills. Well, if you don't stop saying that. If while you're down the road of your decision or your plan, you're willing and sensitive to God in a posture of surrender to him to where you're willing to turn around if needed. Now, now most of us men have a hard time admitting we're wrong. Especially when we're driving. Right? Our wife, we, we got one way to go. Our wife tells us differently. Siri tells us differently. That pesky woman on your phone. The map tells you different if you're old school. And what do we do? We just keep on driving. And when it's finally proven that we're wrong, it's pretty humbling to turn around, isn't it? You know why? Because we've been in a posture of arrogant presumption. Not humble dependence on others for help. And the same is true when we've been making our plans and decisions with arrogant presumption. Watch here. The longer you've been presuming that you're right, the harder it is it is to admit that you're not. The louder you are about house and the, the more certain and, and, and final you are about your decisions and your plans, the harder it is to humble yourself and say, eh, I need to turn around here. So don't make it hard on yourself. Stay in a posture of humility. Stay in a posture of dependence on God from the beginning of your planning. That way, when, 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 when the Holy Spirit says reroute, you don't keep driving. You find the nearest place to turn around. This is what making our plans with humble dependence on God looks like. We consult God's word first. Never make a decision without God's word backing it up. Then we seek godly counsel next because it keeps us from, from falling on our face. And then we remain willing to change our mind if necessary. Did you get the burden of James? It's clear. Planning is good. It's really good. But planning without God is really bad. In fact, he goes a step further. It's not just bad. He says it's sin. Verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. This is speaking of the sin of omission. There are sins of commission, things you do. Then there are sins of omission, failing to do something you should do. There, there's something good you know you should do, but you don't do it. And James says that's, that's a sin. In this case, you've been taught today from God's word that you should include God in every one of your plans. And when you don't do that good deed, James says, you are sinning. When you omit God out of your decision 
or your plans, small or big, you are in sin. One author says this, it's practical atheism. Living as though God doesn't exist. The same author says this, they're a Christian atheist. Those who believe God exists, but they live as though he doesn't. When we make our plans without God, we may believe in him, but we are living as though he doesn't exist. And that, according to James, is sin. So let me ask you, what event are you planning in the next month or so? What are you planning this next year that's pretty important to you? If I opened your calendar, if I got into your phone today, what would I see marked down, planned on, circled in red so that nothing else will happen on that day? What would I see? Would I see a move, a wedding, a trip, a big purchase, a new job? I want to challenge you to look at that date, look at that decision. And say this, Lord, here's what I'm planning. If it's what you have in mind. Lord, you can change my mind if you want to. That's okay. I'm depending on you for my, for my tomorrow. I'm depending on you for my next breath. God, with your help, I want to plan with humble dependence on your leadership in my life, knowing that you are the only one that truly controls my tomorrow. Donald Sanukin says this. Make your plans in pencil and know that God has the eraser. And he also has a pen to write what he wants in ink. You got to write that down. You got to remember that. Take a picture of it. Make your plans in pencil and know that God has the eraser. And he also has a pen to write what he wants in ink. God help us. To make our plans in humble dependence on him. Not with arrogant presumption as though we control our future or hold our tomorrow. James' burden is clear. Plan well with God. Not without him. If you agree with the word, say amen.